um, the book of Revelation, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And um, we're going to begin the, the study on the churches. And I want to give a little bit of um, backdrop. We didn't just read part of um, finishing chapter one to set the stage for chapter two. And the book of Revelation, really, um, John and, and Jesus tells John, uh, look at it and explain it in, in three parts. Um, I think it's a little more under, easier to understand if we break it down. And I've, I've looked at lots of different um, studies on this. And there's really about five that, that help you kind of put Revelation and the apocalypse of Jesus Christ in um, places of, okay, I understand this is that, this is that. So as in any book, um, the first chapter is, is an introduction. Then we get into the second chapter, and it's a proclamation. It's Jesus proclaiming to the churches. Amen? So we're going to look at a little bit of the introduction, go into the proclamation, and let's start in, I think I told Beth, verse 10 of chapter 1. John, the apostle, says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. I'm proud of myself right there, I'm just saying. <laughs> and I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze. And it has been caused to glow, when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Write, therefore, pay attention to this, there's three things, things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. So Jesus tells John, write the things that you've seen. That's everything that, Jesus, that John saw when he was on the earth with Jesus up until the point. Then he says, write the things which are. That is, write what is going on right now in this time and in this state, which is he writes to the churches. We're going to see very shortly. Then he says, and, and, and the things which shall take place after these things. So he says, so then write the things that are going to take place after 
this church age. After this, the things that he's going to see, and it says earlier in, in, the, first, um, in the first part of chapter 1, in verse 2, he says, who bore witness, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So it's in those threes. Now, the book of Revelation is amazing. You're gonna, it's like you could almost say it's a book of sevens. And we're going to look at that here and, and explain that a little bit as we get into the churches. Um, there's so much going on, and you're going to see sevens, 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 sevens. I'm going to say right now, the number seven represents completion and perfection. So there's lots of discussion, and we'll look at as we go into the seven churches. There's teachings that believe these are church ages, and I can somewhat kind of go, yeah, I can see some of that. Um, but I'm not going to necessarily go in real depth into that because I think more importantly, exactly why it's the sevens all is because it's the complete church. John is, is and Jesus is telling John, and we're going to see here, this isn't just, and he is speaking to seven specific churches that were in Asia Minor at the time, and today it would be called Turkey. And he's speaking to them specifically, but why? I know that it's more than just those sevens because as we go through, you're going to see at the end of each church, he says, Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Over and over, to the churches. So he's using these seven churches as a model and, and saying the things that he sees and the things that he's uh, um, blessing for all of us. The complete church and the whole church age. Amen? Now there is some specifics, obviously. But they are gonna, you're going to see each one of these in us that we are to see and learn from. Amen? So... Verse 20 says, as for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, so here's, if you're like me, you're like, so I get the seven churches, well, who's the angels of the seven churches? Anyone else like that when you read it? You're like, so anyone... And, and we can just go like, we could just read over and be like, I don't know, but it doesn't really matter. Well, I'm with you. I don't really know. I don't think anyone really knows. There's lots of, um, there's lots of speculation, and I'm, I'm going to hold to the two most probable is literally, John means what he said. There's a lot of people that think, and this is true, what is, angel, what is an angel? It's a messenger. It's a messenger. So Jesus is holding the seven messengers of the church. And he didn't say, like, it was one. Each church has a messenger. There's, and I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor. This is what most commentaries and most people say is what John is saying is that these stars are pastors of the churches or the leaders of the churches, the bishop of the church, not not an, uh, an overseer, because there would be one overseer over seven churches. Now, I don't know if that's so or not. I'm not saying it because I think I'm something special, because I'm not. That's what a lot of commentary said. I, I can see a lot of the points that are made. Um, there's not a whole lot to say about what is the definition. What does he mean by writing to the angel of the church? I don't know. The only thing I can get a picture of, going back through Scripture, is that we know in the book of Daniel that... There was a messenger, angel, that was like delivering prayers 
that were going from Daniel, and there was battles going on in the heavenlies, and they got delayed, and the answers got delayed. Maybe each church has an angel. I don't know. You're totally up to think whatever you want on that, and I'm not going to argue with you. All right? It, it, if someone says they have it all figured out and they got all the right answers, I don't trust them. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, and, and that's okay. I'd rather say I'm not sure than to tell you that I know for a fact this is what that is, and it's not. Um, so going on. But the church, the, the candlesticks we know for a fact are the seven churches. Let's look at why is he using stars and candlesticks. Here's my thought. It's dark. Stars, you can see at night when it's dark. They illuminate light. What do candlesticks do? Produce light. I'm not the sharpest guy. I live by kiss. Keep it simple, Steve. So... Apparently, Jesus is walking amongst in a dark time, in a dark place, and he has seven stars and seven candlesticks he's walking amongst, which is the seven churches, and both of those produce light, and we're supposed to be what? In, the, in what? In darkness. Amen? So, I think that sets a picture of what the church is supposed to be. Amen? Light. All right. Going into chapter two. This is the proclamation Chapter 2 and 3. So Jesus says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. The one. That just so stood out to me. The one. Jesus saying, hey, the one. Like, I'm the one. Isn't it bringing you, like, it brings me comfort to know that, that he knows me, and he is the one, and he's walking amongst us. That brings me a lot of peace. And he, he the one says, I know your deeds. If we shorten that up, he says, I know you. He knows us. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot endure evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you find them to be false <laughs> i gotta stop thank the lord he knows our deeds he says i know that you're oil. Well, i know your perseverance i know that you can't endure evil men i know you put to the test those who call themselves apostles that that got my attention we're in a day and age that people like to title themselves. Have you noticed that? I'm the apostle so-and-so. I'm the prophet so-and-so. I'm blah, 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 blah. We need to be really not concerned about self-titled people or individuals. What we need to be concerned about is what does God title them? What's God's title? Self-appointed titles and self-appointed people, they're not going to do well. And this church recognized that. That's something that we go, ding, 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 that's really good. God doesn't, when someone is something, I shared, a, I shared on a, a post, I think, this week. They were talking about some stuff was going goofy, and, and from basically it was coming from self-appointed prophets, evangelists, people who said, this is what I am, and then they go and they minister, and then 
trauma and drama happens. And it's like, you know, the self-appointed thing. If someone is a prophet, they don't have to tell you. Hear me? You guys are so quiet this morning. Wow, are you awake? Okay. If someone's an evangelist, they don't have to tell you. You'll know it. If someone's an apostle or has an apostolic anointing on their life, you're going to see it. When someone's a pastor, they don't have to tell you they're a pastor. You will see the fruit. You will see that anointing. You will see that gifting. Amen? You can put whatever title in this day and age you want on things. It doesn't make it so. There's a lot of people that went to Bible school that took a class and now are somebody, and God never called them. Which means God never gave him the title. Are you hearing me? What's the title that God's giving? That's what we need to be paying attention to. What's the fruit of that? Because no one, you'll never have to, they'll never have to say, hey, just so you're all wondering, this is my title. Jesus doesn't even do that. He just came on the scene very humbly. Didn't have to say, hey, everybody. Come bow, kiss the ring. Some of our Catholic friends are understanding that one. <laughs> it says, they are not, and you found them to be false. And, you're, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But, uh-oh, that's never good. But, always pay attention. Have you learned? I mean, I don't think no one has it. You can, if someone's giving you compliments... Don't we were like, yeah, that's good. And then you hear a but. All of a sudden, they, you have, they have your attention. You were like, I heard but. And sometimes we can say, and I've heard people say, whatever comes after but is what they really think. Now, that's not true. That's, don't, don't go there because Jesus is saying everything he really thinks. This is all truth he's saying ahead of time. But there is a but. Amen? But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. I've heard a lot of people say and quote this, and they'll say that you've lost your first love. I've heard that a lot. Well, they lost their first love. There's a huge difference between lost and left. You follow me? How many know it's possible? This, this is something that I think is real important. A lot of people have a lot of theology on, um, you know, once you get saved, that's it. You're sealed. Nothing you can do about it. He just told a church, you have left your first love, and listen to what else he says. Remember, therefore, remember from where you have fallen, repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else, that's never good, or else I'm coming to you, and will what? Remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Church. That's a whole church. What makes up a church? If he's saying, if you don't repent, if you don't go back and do your first works, I will remove the lampstand. That's not, that's no bueno, right? I mean, not good. It says, yet, thank you, Lord, for the yet, 
This you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, I want to give you a little history on Ephesus. Ephesus was the fourth greatest city in Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. It proceeded in prominence by Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch. There's only three greater cities in the whole region, Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch. Ephesus was a harbor city serving as a gateway between the east and the west, and was at the time of the writing a major economic metropolis in the region of Asia Minor. It was the home of the largest temple of the cult of Artemis, which was one of the wonders of the world. It was a place consecrated in the minds of the people with many myths, legends, gods, and goddesses. Paul lived here for two years and achieved some of his greatest missionary success and greatest miracles. The apostle John also lived in Ephesus before and after his time on Patmos, where he wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ. Apollos was converted to Christ and first exercised his great gifts there. Also, Timothy lived and served in Ephesus until he died a victim of mob violence. For pro- I, had, I had to put this in here. He died victim of mob violence for protesting the license and frenzy of the great festival of Artemis. This, this city of Ephesus was a huge place harbor city people came through lots of money lots of buying and selling um huge culture lots of arts i mean they were they were at the top of the top of all the different things of music and art and study and just this was a a high-ranking highly sophisticated um deep and serious like god worship um the the temple of us called artemis or or diana so even it was they would they would they had like temple prostitutes there was some crazy off the hook, like, like today, but it was actually considered like worship. It was worship. In the midst of that, this church gets developed, and Paul, through Priscilla and Aquila, really, they land first, and then Paul comes and really helps get this thing launched, and it grows into a very, very strong, healthy church. In the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, now, I don't know if I'll have time or not, and we'll see here in a little bit, but if you really want to see what's going on um, and, and what the backdrop of this is, Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 is where you see, I call it, the Ephesian riot and revival. It's amazing, which gives us a lot of hope, right? Like, there's a lot of rioting, a lot of stuff going on right now. Biblically, in really dark times where there's a lot of crazy stuff going on, like in Ephesus, the representation was Ephesian riot and revival. The world, they're going nuts, rioting. Why? Because the light of the church is shining so bright in this town that like the goldsmiths, the silversmiths that made a lot of money selling idols and and symbols of their goddess Diana, they got so upset when Paul, because people were getting so radically saved and that whole area was coming under revival that people quit worshiping Diana. Their trades, everything was, was changing. The culture was shifting. The finances were changing. And it ticked a lot of people off. You remember there was riots going on for hours. And finally, one of the leaders had to come in and say, hey, 
we got to stop, disperse this because we're going to, Rome's going to come in here and we're all going to get locked up. Like we can't be, like the church threw that place in a mess. It was like very white and light and dark. Light shining super, super bright in the midst of complete darkness. Sound like a similar place? The Lord says, I know your deeds. First point, I know your deeds. He commends them for not putting up with and condoning evil. Church. The word church that gets used over and over in this, in this, in this book means to call out of or from among, to call out of or to call from among. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's also the assembly. So the church is where people assemble. It's the assembly of people for a specific purpose of worship. Usually, and if you want to go deep, there's an altar involved. Talk a little bit about altars. I wasn't planning on this, but praise the Lord. Um, I grew up in a, in a church, and, and uh, I had a great opportunity just to, last week, I think, at the baptisms, after the baptisms, to share a little bit with someone, with Seth and Richard. And we're kind of reminiscing of, of things that happened in a previous church. And, and there was a lot of stuff that was not so good, but there was a lot of things that I look and I go, wow, that was amazing. I, I got some education in some areas that were beautiful that you would never get in Bible school. Something that I grew up in, it was really, I'm just going to be honest, it was really strange when I came here and I would minister. And, like, I was used to, and I was preaching way better now than I was then. And people would just, like, boom, come down on the altars afterwards and spend time in the presence of the Lord. And, and there would be altar ministry, and, like, people just stayed. And Jenny would come and pray with people. And I'll tell you what, man, when she's, like, the Lord's telling her to go pray for someone, like, you're going to get prayed for like, there would be, like, sometimes lines. Like, there would be one, people wanting to get up in my line. People, and I'm like, if I was you, I'd get in that line. I'd go let her, like, let's go. <laughs> like, she is on. Like, I said all that to say, these altars, these are very, very precious places. An altar signifies, it's a place, I'm going to keep it simple, it's a place where flesh gets burnt and sacrificed. Amen. Old Testament altars, they took the flesh of sacrifices and they put them on the altar and the priest would light them. Remember Elijah's altar? He built an altar and the fire of God came from heaven and consumed it. What an altar represents to me is when I want to go and put my flesh on the altar. Now that doesn't mean that there's sin in my life. Old time Pentecost would be like, oh good Lord, if you went to the altar, well they must have some sin in their life or what did you do or what the heck? This is a positioning of a place for me, what it represents, that I am putting my body, my flesh, I'm humbling myself before the Lord. And Lord, Ephesians 5 tells us that we are to Im be imitators of Christ who was a sacrifice. And that sacrifice that was on that altar was a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Here's what I know. When I put my flesh on an altar... It's a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord. So I want to give you a little bit, and I'm not expecting, I'm not telling you, don't, don't come to the altar if the Holy Spirit's not drawing you. But you can. 
Like, I'm not saying this because I expect everyone to come down to the altar today. Don't. You can make an altar in your house. But there's something special about the altar. And just being in the altar area. And I've watched in my lifetime the significance of God moving and doing things and seeing people get healed and seeing people slain in the spirit. And that's not the goal. But I tell you what, if it's ever happened to you, it's being overwhelmed by the presence of God. Overwhelmed. That you lose function. And when it's happened to me, I didn't want to get up. Like when the moment you start, like you can hear things going on like at a distance. And then it like starts coming like you're coming to. And it's like, no, I want to stay here. Right? Anyone experience that? Where did that usually happen? At the altar. I mean, I could trace back some of the most amazing things that have happened in my life. Most of them have happened at an altar. All right. That's all free. Where was I? I know your deeds. <laughs> Help me, Lord. He commends them for not putting up with the condoning of evil. Church, we can't do that in this day and age. This is not popular. I'm not the most popular preacher lately, so might as well stick with that. The church is to be light, not dark. This isn't complicated. If something's dark and we're light, if you keep reading Ephesians chapter 5, it will say the light is to expose the darkness, and it doesn't have anything to do with it. So if we know something is like dark, which what's, what's dark mean? There's a hint of evil. Like it's dark, you know, magic. It's dark music. It's dark blah, blah, blah. It's dark medicine. That's all. It's dark. Is it light? I mean, if you're not sure, you're like, is it light? Well, what's light? Encouraging life. Dark is usually represents death. Right? This isn't complicated. Is it dark? As a Christian, that's to be light and lampstands. That's not for you. Can you do it? Yes. Will it cost you? Yes. I believe the reason you don't see the power and the anointing that was on the church in the early church, they didn't associate with the dark at all. Like you see it, you go read Acts 19. They jacked that whole Ephesus up. It, so much, it went into a riot and revival. Praise the Lord. That's exciting. I feel the love. They were surrounded. No, he says, I know your deeds. They were surrounded by a society and a culture that was full of evil practices and evil people. You mean the Lord didn't just take them out of it? No. They were smack dab in the midst of it, doing what? Being light. Yay. That's what I look at around our world today. I'm not discouraged. This is encouraging. The darker it gets, I'm like, sweet. The light's going to shine brighter. It's going to give people that are jacked up and they're in darkness and they know they're overwhelmed and burdened and it's evil. They're going to go like, there's light. I need hope. I need, there it is. And if you realize right now, it's very clear. And the people who are in bondage to darkness are seeing light and it's hope. 
and they're able to get delivered very quickly. They're able to come running and get set free very quickly because it's so, it's so opposite. Come out from among them. The church is to be called out of that. They weren't, the church of Ephesus were not tolerant of the sin and evil in their city. We get called out, well, you're not tolerant. I'm not supposed to be tolerant of it. You are correct. I'm not ashamed of being intolerant. I'm not. Jesus is intolerant. Not everyone's going to go. When he comes back, you're like, well, that's not tolerant. That's not loving. Am I supposed to be tolerant? No. The church, we're not supposed to be tolerant. We've allowed the world to tell us what we're supposed to be. Because they don't like what? Light. They're saying, hey, dim your light. You're too bright. I'm sorry. Put some sunglasses on. I want to be so bright they got to wear a welder's mask. That light's bright. Yeah. Either don't come around it. Because that's what the light's going to do. It's going to shine and expose. It's what it's supposed to do, church. That's what the church of Ephesus did. It would have been a lot easier for the church of Ephesus to compromise. Come on. It's easy to compromise. It's so easy, and the enemy's looking for all kinds of ways and areas that we will compromise. Just a little bit. It's not big things. You ever notice that? When he comes and it's like this, you know, the red ears and, and the horns and the tail, and he's like, I need you to sacrifice your child on the altar. You're like, I don't think so. Right? You're like, no, I don't think that's going to happen today. But he's like, hey, what's the big deal about that movie? What's the big deal about that song? What's the big deal about et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? compromise they didn't compromise he's saying i know your deeds you have not given up they remained pure in their doctrine they didn't they didn't tolerate false prophets and apostles they didn't compromise in that area too they held them to the line and what was the line what they'd been taught what paul had said his teachings this is what we see this is what we know like nope it doesn't measure up what's the fruit you say this, but what are the deeds? Amen? Point two says, but you have left your first love. But what's that look like? It's a slow thing most of the time. I'm simple. What is the first and greatest commandment? With what? What's the second? What do you think this first love thing's about? Could it be? Could it be that simple? Leaving is going from a position to another. Has the church moved positions? And now, you understand, when we say the word church, that means 
It could mean, it's a beautiful word, it means a lot of things. It could be a little home group, a little house gathering. It could be this church. It could be the church, right? That's a, this is the church. Has the church moved its position on many things? And not just this church. Well, compromise. Tolerance. Well, we need to be tolerant. That's not loving. That left, the word is, and I'm, a, I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher this one. Ethikas? A-P-H-E-K-A-S. It's a Greek word. Willful abandonment. Long neglect. Willful abandonment, long neglect. How many understand sometimes it's not willful abandonment, it's long neglect? Anyone ever do that? First things first in a marriage? How many, how many know that most of the time when marriages start going off the rails, there was willful abandonment or long neglect? Long neglect will call as willful abandonment. Are you in a relationship with the Lord? Yes, I hope. Is it, a, is it like a marriage? Can willful abandonment happen on our end? Does the Lord love us? Is he warning us? Check this out, church. Here's how I know like it can so happen to us. Paul was the pastor. After Paul, the Apostle John pastored that church. Timothy pastored that church. And within 30 years, Jesus is writing them, telling John, hey, write the church of Ephesus this letter. You have left your first love. That rocked me. Like this church is rock star causing riots. And revival is so radical in their world that it changes everything. 30 years later, um, you've left your first love. And if you don't repent and you don't make it right, I will remove your candlestick. I don't want the candlesticks here. Move. I want it like, dude, if we can throw some nitrous on that, like whatever we can do, make that sucker burn like hot and bright and maybe some magnesium on top of it. And like, let's do that. He tells us how to do it. Long neglect. Here's what it can look like in our world, in our church. Going through the motions. You ever heard that term? How about this? Doing church. Ooh. Doing church. How many's done that? I did it. I did it for years. Doing church. What are we going for? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not getting fed. I'm not even really. What am I going for? I was doing church. Going through the motions. There's lots of activity. Here's here's what the church age I believe today and and what and we're shifting out of. The, the, the Ephesian church was doing lots of activity. Lots of stuff happening in the church. Lots of programs. Lots of stuff. Lots of theology. But no intimacy.
giving the Lord their service, but not giving the Lord themselves. Hear me? Giving the Lord service, but not giving the Lord yourself. Done it. Here's my service. Here's my works. But me, I'm keeping some distance. Not drawing close to God. Because I might not like to hear what he has to say. Here's what that church did. They quit doing their first things. As I'm not the greatest marriage counselor in the world, um, but I'm not the dumbest either. There's a question that I usually ask. What did you do when you first started dating? What were the things you did when you were first married? Are you still doing those things? This is what he's saying. You've left your first love. Our church, are we doing our first fruits? Are we doing our first things? What did it look like when you first got saved? If it was me, I was a mess. Like, I have all this zeal, and I'm like, what do I, God, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want. Like, just point me in a direction. Oh, they need, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I told everybody, whether they want to hear it or not. Excited. He's excited. Dude, you're excited when you go from death to life. If you're not, I don't know if you went to life. What did it look like? Does it still look that way? If it doesn't, why not? At one time, that church fervently praised and loved with all their heart. Now they're satisfied to have right doctrine. Come on. We went through a huge area, a huge era of time of before it wasn't. And I'm not saying it's not important to have right doctrine. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like to worship him with all your heart, with all your soul, with everything. To be excited when he comes in the room. To be like, I'm going to go to church today and I'm going to worship with some brothers and sisters who have the same agenda. To draw close to him, and he'll draw close to us. To sing together, to, to unite our hearts in one mind. That's exciting. Like, when you understand the power of that, like, anything could happen. Like, in my past, like, that stuff was going on pretty normally. And not that this is like, yay, but it is kind of yay. The devil sent people in. For one of two reasons, to mess with it or to get to, or, or God brought the devil, the demon possessed people in to get them delivered because there was power. Every great revival, every great move of God, I've always seen that happen. Either someone comes in and the devil sent them and then you lock eyes and the spirit of God lets them know like, you're. That, and the demon's like, hey, I might be getting evicted. And that sucker's like, <laughs> or they're there, and they're like, I need to be. I need to be free. And there's a war that goes on. And then freedom comes. Yay. That's awesome. We're the restraining agent. Amen? 30 years earlier, they'd been praised for their love. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 13. 30 years earlier, Paul praises them for their love in in his letter. Are you serious? And we're done. Two more points. (laughs) We are not going to make it. That's, thank you, Lord. That'll work. I'm gonna. We'll go over. We're gonna look at at Acts 19 next week. Next week, the first point will be remember, repent, and do, or else. That's all in here. I kind of moved some words, but just saying. <laughs> it, that's how I read it to me. It was like, ooh, like, he's so loving, right? Hey, you've left your first love. You need to remember from where you have fallen. Remember, do those first works again and and repent. Or else. Man. I'm going to reread the second. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance that you cannot endure evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary but I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Just in case you're wondering, this, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the CEO of the church. The, the Holy Spirit is the CEO of the church. Listen to what the Spirit is saying. He's the CEO. I will grant to eat, or I'm sorry, to him who overcomes, just a little small part there. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Yeah, there's too much good stuff in this last part to cram it in there because it won't do its justice. Why don't we, uh, Rob, if you could put something on for me, that would be awesome. Why don't we pray? I'm going to close this out. Obviously, um, this isn't the first time you that are church have heard the church of Ephesus from the book of Revelations and the the words you've left your first love that's not for every single person in the room that's not for I don't know where each one of you are I know that all of us have the ability to meander away we all have the ability to get real complacent get real comfortable get to a place where We don't do the first things we did. 
and then we wonder how we got where we did. I can't think of anyone better to warn us. So I just want to take a minute, examine your heart. Because we're to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and draw close to him again. And I want you to picture this. When John saw Jesus, and it was, he said, I fell down on my face like a dead man. Like he was overcome. Jesus did something so beautiful that, that so Jesus, he comes and he just, he rests his right hand on him. And I want you to picture when, and when the Holy Spirit begins speaking to you and showing what's going on in your heart, some areas that maybe need to come, that Jesus' hand is resting on you. So Holy Spirit, we say come. We are going to listen to what you say to the church. Holy Spirit, come. I'm so thankful that two nights ago, you wrote on the tablet of my heart and moved my hand to write on the tablet of paper very clearly. An area for me to submit to you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for your care for your church. We thank you. Whisper in our ears. Whisper in our ears. now I want you to just ask a simple question he's probably shown you something now ask him how do you want me to change it what do you want me to do with what you've shown me just take another minute Jesus, we thank you that you're walking amongst your church right now. Lord, I pray that each one of us, Lord, would just feel your hand. Just come by. That loving touch. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we're in. Thank you, God, for the days that we're in. Lord, that we get to be a church that you walk amongst that has an opportunity to be light, to shine forth. Lord, I pray for a boldness in this body. Lord, that we would not fear, we would not bow, we would not be afraid to be light. We would not be afraid to be what you've called us to be. Lord, that we would be willing for our own life to 
in the outside just be rioting and things going on all around us, but for us to be in a full-blown revival. Lord, like you, like you did in this church, where the most ridiculous and amazing miracles that we see happened, where shadows healed people, where even cloth was taken, or pieces of clothing sent and people were healed. That's what we want, Lord, everything that you have for us. And we're willing to do what you call us to do in order for that to happen.